Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. that's more steady on than Splendid Rush and episode four, can you believe it, of the new Old Norwich and very apt as well, Dad, because it's four games unbeaten. Wow. (laughs) We started, of course, the podcast saying we wanted our Old Norwich back. It feels like we may be slowly grasping our way as we move a place up the Premier League table uh, place by place. But coming up in the podcast, a manager can make a difference, I think is what we've found. Also, it's clear and obvious we never get a VAR break. And it's Bond, John Bond, in our greatest ever Norwich City managers. All coming up on the new Old Norwich podcast. So, we start off with Wolves and Newcastle. And a couple of draws, Dad. Yes, a a point at Newcastle was not the worst result in the world. But it did bring us down to earth a little bit after the Southampton win and the Wolves' performance. I thought Dean Smith's reaction to the Newcastle game was so refreshing. Um, I mean, he summed up perfectly. He summed up perfectly, really, what everyone was thinking during the game. that There was not enough in the final third and we were pedestrian on the ball. He was also pretty cutting. He said, it's the worst we've played, not enough quality and lethargic. Yes. That's what I mean by refreshing, John, because you hear so many managers just waffle on and, uh, and, and, you, and you, sometimes you, you, you don't even recognise the game that you've watched with them. Yeah. But well, I thought it was really refreshing. Did it show him the task that he's got in front of him? You mentioned Southampton and it was a, a great victory um, coming from behind against Wolves. I mean, we'll talk maybe a bit more about it, but there, there were a lot of chances for Norwich and we didn't convert any of them. And then against Newcastle, Newcastle had one shot on target, which was the penalty, which we'll probably come on to. But apart from that, they didn't actually shoot um, on Tim Krul's goal or or get it on target. A few went over. But actually, neither did Norwich particularly. And considering Newcastle were down to 10 men within 10 minutes, 
it does it does it show how difficult the job is for Dean Smith, or actually does it show that against Newcastle, who were desperate to win, the fact that they didn't win showed the quality that there is there at Norwich, and it is now about coaching through to get to the position where we will score goals more regularly. I, I think, yeah, I think it's a, a bit of both, to be honest. That That's what I meant when I said we were brought down to earth a bit, because I think after the Southampton win particularly, and then the Wolves game, I think a lot of people will begin to think, this is fine, we'll be all right. But there are still some issues there, reminders. And as I said, which I think Dean Smith really covered in his uh, after Newcastle um, briefing, but this lack of creativity. Now, I think on that, to be fair, in the Newcastle game and the second, the most of the Wolves game, the loss of Norman, um, I mean, I think that is a big loss mm. in terms of creativity. And how long is he out for? We don't know. I think he, he saw a consultant this week. Right. Uh, Matt Jarvis, I heard talking about it, who'd seen, he said, lots of um, consultants in his time. And he thought the outcome would be either just try and live with it, be have an injection and play on, or you need surgery. Uh, and the indication I've had is that surgery would perhaps take a couple of months. Mm. In terms of creativity, I think the loss of Norman in the Wolves game um, has been a big loss. So he knows then that he's got some players who can do it, not necessarily doing it at the moment. I mean, Josh Sargent came on and changed the game against Southampton, came off obviously in uh, the game against Wolves, missed a good chance again against Newcastle. Um, in the first half of, of the match. Pierre-Lise Malou came on at half-time against Newcastle, had the, the glorious chance in stoppage time. I'm wondering, is it plainly obvious that if Pukki doesn't score, we don't score? Absolutely. I think I think that is the very question. If Pukki doesn't score, who does? Yeah. And and I would add to the two, two that you've mentioned, Zolis, um, even Rupp, um, I mean, to be fair, I, I don't, don't want to knock him because he hasn't done a bad job. But on the creative side, um, is he ever going to make it at Premier League level? That's all them players we've mentioned, Sergeant Solace, Rupp and Lees Mello. You just have doubts about them, uh, about their quality at, uh, at Premier League level. It, it, it may come, Cause but... What you, because what you need is you need a goal scorer who's going to score your goals, and that is Puki, and it was yeah. two years ago, and it was uh, previous to that. But there was always Cantwell or Buendia who were chipping in with some yes. goals. And, and, and there's no one. There, there is literally no one no. who else is scoring goals apart from uh, a couple of defenders and, and, and centre-backs. Uh, so there's a goalkeeping coach down at every football club. I was looking at this today. There's a goalkeeping coach at every club. Why is there not a strikers coach? Because... Putting the ball in the back of the net is just as important as saving the ball from going in the back of the net. And there must be different things that they could teach them. And we talked about it in episode three about the Norwich City goal scorers in the Premier League. Grant Hull, still around Norwich. Chris Sutton, still around Norwich and could be uh, available while he's not busy on BT Sport and BBC Five Live or whatever. Darren Huckabee is still around Norwich and actually involved in the club. Why are there not strikers coaches? 
I think that is a good point, but I would add that to another issue in that a lot of the players we're um, talking about haven't played a lot of football. Mm. Um, I mean, Adam Eder is a prime example. He's, he's really um, on next in line striker. How many games has he played over the last three or four seasons? I'm not sure, particularly at Premier League level, you can just step in, not having played any football for three or four seasons, and make a big impact. I, so I think that, you know, it's a very valid point about that, but you've got to, it's, um, you've got to have the ammunition, even if, if you are given that better coaching, uh, um, uh, coaching, you've got to have um, the basic ingredients there and lack of game time and possibly lack of ability. You know, Sargent, he's never scored a lot of goals in his career. So can we ever rely on him coming into the Premier League and scoring goals? It seems a bit unlikely, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and this isn't a criticism of, of Dean Smith and, and Shakespeare, because actually, as I said, they, they've shown they can adapt and change the team on the field, which we, yes. nev- we never saw under our previous manager at all. He could not change the way that we played football, even when it was blindingly obvious halfway through a game that it wasn't working. And I think that's the beauty of, of Smith, as well as him talking openly, as you say, after the game, that him and Shakespeare can look at it and change it. And I think there was a bit yesterday against Newcastle where Max Ahrens basically found himself in so much space more and more. And they were shouting at the centre-backs, Hanley and Gibson, to give the ball to Aaron's, Give it to Aaron's, And mm. and I, I am interested about, we, we talked about this in a previous episode, about the players a little bit. Is that, why can't they work it out for themselves? <laughs> but uh, they obviously can't. And, and, and maybe it is because someone's watching from the side and you can see it more. But it, it's refreshing to see Smith and Shakespeare going, yeah, we need to change this. They brought on Lise Malou, as, as we said, at half-time. They brought on Sargent at half-time, as we know it, in previous games. So, look, unbeaten in four, three of them for Smith. The longest unbeaten run since 2013 in the top flight for Norwich. That year, we stayed up. That's true, yes. And, yeah. and that was was that was Chris Hooten. That was that was my favourite Chris Hooten. <laughs> uh, will he be in the greatest ever Norwich City managers <laughs> list? We'll have, to mention, we'll have to mention him. <laughs> Third from bottom. They've tightened up defensively. I'm not. I, I'm. I was starting the season thinking Tim Krul could be replaced by um, Gunn, but I don't think that's the case at the moment. I think Krul's got better um, as the season's gone on, and under Smith as well. But it is that creativity and striker uh, issue because yes. we I'm. Re- I'm. I'm really happy with the result against Newcastle. I'm happy with the result against Wolves. We now come up against Tottenham. Ugh. Yes. And and yes. if and if you don't score, you don't That's draw. Right. You don't draw every game nil nil. Just while we're on strikers, John, did you see Pookie's goal? Yes, I did. What a cracker that was! <laughs> but it just reinforces what you're saying. Because what if we lost Pookie? Mm. We'd be relegated, wouldn't we? Yes. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We just would not have the strike force to cope with that. Um, but, um, yeah, no, there are some real positives there. And as you say, the use of subs in all three games, there be, there's been an impact. Um, last night, for instance, he brings on Janulis, who was involved in the build-up to the goal. Yeah, he crossed the um, yeah. Change, cha- as you say, changing the format. Also, defensively, much harder to beat. 
not a soft touch. I mean, how long did Farker struggle with this defence? Well, he kept, um, he kept chopping and changing. He did. And um, within, within three games, they've tightened up. So real positives there. I think the other one I'd mention is that in those three games, they've proved that you can play Gilmore without giving lots of goals away. Yeah. I mean, Farker had practically given up on that, hadn't he? Yeah. And, and the fact, again, he moved him in position. He started off against Newcastle a bit higher up, but as soon as um, the player was sent off, they moved him back and pushed the other McLean yes. uh, forward as well. So yeah. the, the I, I used this phrase in episode three, the elephant in the room uh, continues to be Todd Cantwell. The fact he was not involved against Newcastle because of a COVID-related issue. Yes. If you're Todd Cantwell and you want to play football, don't go out, don't mix, don't, don't, don't do anything, but go to training, prove yourself and go back home. I have n no understanding of this, how you can get yourself in a position where you can't be selected because of a, a, of a close contact. Look, I'm being slightly harsh, but that is something... It was my a... thought. It was my thought, John, as well, because these things keep happening too regularly, don't they? And they're happening to him. Yes, that's what I mean. Regularly and, to him, yes. And and if you and he will be he will continue to be the elephant in the room on this podcast if he does not change. The longer this goes on, John, it's my point. The longer he's not playing football, mm. and then when you come back in, you've got to get back into it again. So he needs to take our advice and no splendid rushing. Just <laughs> just steady on. Calm down. Yes, calm down. Steady on. <laughs> Another couple of points about last night. I mean, first of all, you're right in that where this has put us from nowhere is we're properly in the mix now. Whole of November unbeaten. Who would have thought that when we lost to Leeds? Yeah, exactly. So we're in the mix, but you're right. We've, um, there are issues that we've addressed. We now need to see if we can address that issue on, on creativity and scoring. But just a couple of points from last night. VAR and handball. Yes. There were two. I, I haven't seen the, the other two incidents, but apparently um, it's reported that there were two other incidents uh, where Newcastle players in the penalty area handled the ball. There was no great shout from the Norwich players. Um, the referee didn't give anything and, and VAR didn't even have a look at it. Now, um, and the feeling was that if you looked at it in depth as um, the Newcastle one, they, the, at least for one of them, you could come to the same conclusion. My, my view strongly is with VAR that um, VAR just doesn't look at all issues. They only look at issues that have come to their attention. Now, 50,000 in the crowd, all the Newcastle players shouting for it, they would look at it in that situation. Little Norwich at Newcastle, they have a couple of incidents. VAR's not going to pick up unless you make a big fuss. And my, you know, even, I shouldn't say this, pushing the referee or what have you, <laughs> you might get sent off, but I'm, and I'm not talking about going that far, but you have got to aggressively fight for these issues. Newcastle had the same issue when they played at Arsenal. So Arsenal no. didn't, because Arsenal were at home, and Newcastle had an appeal for a penalty, I think, and it wasn't given. It wasn't right. looked at by VAR. So I think it is. It's becoming, and I think with the crowds back as well, we obviously had a year where VAR 
the referee wasn't really impacted and how many away teams won away when there was no crowd in there makes a huge difference and I think it plays as you say it will play a part in their thinking and the fact Dean Smith was right the fact it takes 90 seconds to work out whether something's clear and obvious it's obviously not clear and obvious no quite but but that is the whole issue uh, with with VAR and it is becoming the big teams get the benefits and the and the little teams which we always thought about referees anyway we did yeah and, and now it's plainly yeah. even more obvious yeah um, and it shouldn't be with VAR because it should be more independent shouldn't it well it should be clear <laughs> and, yeah absolutely yeah, it should it, sh- it should be clear yeah. but of course it, it's not as but I mean I don't think a lot of, you know with, with the rules as I don't think a lot of these are really penalty in any rate it was it's more ball it, it's more ball to hand than hand to ball and that was the way that I always looked on it but uh, and they have changed the rules they have changed the handball rules quite a lot in, in recent times and yeah. it, it makes it more complicated because people don't understand even players even managers i think dean smith said afterwards i got told it's if you raise your arms above your shoulders or whatever yeah and, quite and, and and it's the confusion and that makes it less of a spectacle and that the whole point of var was to make sure the right result happened yes. and i'm not sure it is doing it no all. i don't think so but no i don't think so but it's not going to change it's not going to it will always be here now it will never go away no 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 you're right the other point I was going to make was pundits. Yes. I didn't, I didn't listen to it on the television coverage last night, but the reports I've seen is that it seemed like every three minutes Shearer was saying how poor Norwich were and how great the Newcastle crowd were and how great the defenders were. Uh, and then also, which again has just been reported, Rio Ferdinand, he was also on, um, he referred to Newcastle, Newcastle as us or we. Now, nice. um, how many biased pundits do you need? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, A, I've never heard Alan Shearer say anything controversial ever. I think he's one of the worst pundits out there. I think he has tried on the, on Match of the Day to become a bit more outspoken because he's seen, again, what what Neville and Carragher do uh, on Sky Sports and has, has tried to be a bit more uh, out there. So I think the fact he was on Amazon and... He's probably got more. He's allowed to probably say more. The BBC have to be a little careful because they get criticised even more than he would on on Amazon. So, he's, yes. Personally, I don't understand. Having worked in the media, I don't understand why you would appoint someone who's so blatantly biased to one team. No, because he, he he was making those comments as a supporter. Well, he's a former manager. He's a former player. Yeah. He's got a bar. Yes. He's got a bar at St James's now named after him. <laughs> like Brian Gunn at Norwich, you, you might have him in the studio with somebody else, someone and, else, and balance yes. it off, but not yeah. the co-commentator. And I think, I mean, he did criticise Kieran Clark rightly. He was damning of him, saying that he should have let Pookie go. Why would he do that after ten minutes? So he was critical. He did do his job, but the rest of the time, as you say, he's basically sitting there being a fan. If you, if I want to listen to Fan Zone. I'll listen to fan zone. I don't want to hear it from someone who's supposed to be a um, an impartial reviewer or expert on the game that they're watching in, in front of me. Now, the only other problem I have to play a little devil's advocate is Simon Thomas, who was the presenter of the programme, is, a, is, right. is obviously an Norwich fan. 
And I right. think and I think that's wrong as well. And I think Jake does it on BT Sport. Oh, I'm a big Norwich fan. He shouldn't. They shouldn't. Do you know who Barry Davis used to support? Do you know who John Motson used to support? Do you know who Des Lynham used to support? David Coleman used to support. And, it, and it's come from Gary Lineker because Lineker is so of Leicester and, and obviously putting that out there. But it's it, it, I think it's wrong. I, I, I think it's wrong. I don't think Gary Neville should do Manchester United games. I don't think Jamie Carragher should do Liverpool games on Sky as co-commentators. I think you could speak to them afterwards as experts on their clubs, like they do with Roy Keane. Agreed, yes. But yeah, I don't agreed, think yeah. they should be the, the, the co-commentators. And in the old days, you used to have Trevor Brooking just agreeing with, with Barry and, and, and John. And he, and he got criticised for that. So there, there, is, there, is no, uh, there is no win either way. But no. for me, it's plainly wrong that Alan Shearer uh, was, was, was behind it. But the, 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 the main fact it happened, Dad, is that Amazon have paid a fortune for the rights. They will pay Alan Shearer a fortune. They want. They think more Newcastle fans will watch it, so they want to talk about Newcastle rather than Norwich. And it's, yeah, that, and that it's, was that was my thinking. That was my. It's thinking. plainly to do, as with all things Premier League, it's plainly to do with the money. They were money. Yes. <laughs> this is the new old Norwich podcast. More steady on than splendid rush. Good luck to Norwich against Tottenham. Uh, at the weekend and we'll talk more about that of course in episodes to come so we're on episode four we're on stage three of the best Norwich City managers ever we've done Macaulay we've done Saunders it's time for Bond John Bond yes we left episode three in November 1973 when Ron Saunders resigned and went to Manchester City Norwich was struggling in the top tier with just two wins in 16 games. The city chairman Arthur South knew exactly who he wanted to bring in. John Bond had built up a reputation at Bournemouth in the lower leagues. He was from the famous at the time West Ham School of Coaching, coaching that had produced three World Cup winners. Bond couldn't have been more different to Ron Saunders. He was extrovert, stylish, a show-off popular as a television pundit, all the characteristics that did not fit naturally with us Norfolk people. But we came to like the kind of football and success that he brought to the club. Bond set about restructuring the team. Only Kevin Keelan, Duncan Forbes and David Stringer had a role to play in the Bond era. But during this period of adjustment in the season 1973-74, results were slow to recover. It would be 10 games before Bond had his first league win. He only had five wins in 25 league games. City finished bottom eight points from safety. It was the first year that three clubs were relegated from the top division. We were relegated alongside Manchester United and Southampton. United had been in decline since they had won the European Cup six years earlier. So 1973-74 was a gloomy season, in more ways than one. This was the time of strikes by power workers and miners, and power cuts. The only glimmer of hope through the gloom was that during that season we had further semi-final appearances in both the League and the Texaco Cup. The League Cup semi-final first leg at Carroll Road against Wolves had to be played on a Wednesday afternoon due to power restrictions. 
I took a half day's leave from work to see the 1-1 draw. For Bond's first full season back in the second division, we started well. We went the first seven games unbeaten and by the end of September we were in second place after beating Manchester United 2-0 at Carrow Road. We then went on another run in the League Cup to a final at Wembley after beating Bolton, West Brom and Sheffield United all after replays we were drawn against Ipswich at home. Ipswich would go on to finish third in the top flight. This game would also go to a replay and I was at Portman Road on a Tuesday December evening to witness a 2-1 win and ex-Ipswich players scored both the goals. I can still remember the celebrations at a pub on the A140 as we returned home. <laughs> I was also at both legs of the semi-final against our second tier league rivals Manchester United. A 2-2 draw at Old Trafford and a cracker of a goal from Colin Suggett to win the second leg at Carrow Road. Keelan was the star of that game, breaking Manchester United hearts with a string of fine saves. A whole host of family and friends went down the Royston Bulldog route to Wembley for the final. A game against Saunders' new club, Aston Villa, like us from the second division. With the football we were playing under Bond, I thought we could win, but it was a disappointing game. Many said the marching display by the military bands was the highlight. We watched as Keelan pushed a penalty onto the post only for Villa to score the rebound. Twice in three years we had lost a Wembley final 1-0. This was Saunders' third final in a row with three different clubs. He had lost the previous two, so it was perhaps inevitable that Villa would win. After the League Cup final, we had 11 league games to go. There were four teams involved for promotion places, three automatic places, no playoffs. Manchester United, Norwich, Aston Villa, Sunderland, all good enough to go up. It was at this time that Bond played his masterstroke by signing World Cup star Martin, Pe Martin Peters, possibly the most influential signing by any City manager. No longer required by Tottenham, some thought that Peters was past his best, but he would go on to provide a masterclass at Carrow Road for five years. In April 1975, I was the old, at the old den in Millwall, not the friendliest of places to be in the mid-1970s. Despite us scoring a last-minute equaliser, with just three games to go, we were outside the promotion places. Peter scored his first goal for the club in a home win against Forest. And the next week, we were on a long train journey down to Portsmouth. Peter scored again and the win clinched us third place and a return to the top flight. Having no playoffs worked in our favour that time. It had taken Norwich City 70 years to reach Wembley and the top flight. Now within three seasons we had done it twice, Bond matching Saunders' achievements. John, we've celebrated um, promotions in recent seasons. Mm. Just think what it was like combining a promotion season with a run to Wembley. Amazing. I remember 92, and we'll probably talk about that in the next episode, where we got to an FA Cup semi-final and had a, a reasonably good season as well. I think the highest uh, finish in the, in the top flight. So it is, I think for me, and I don't think it's been taken away, and it's why I look back on the, the playoff 
final at Wembley under Alex Neal, winning at Wembley or playing at Wembley just brings so much joy as a football fan. And that is why it's so frustrating when the managers change the team for every single cup game and bring in the effectively the reserves, whether it's the League Cup, whether it's the, the FA Cup now as well. And I think that's that's what's so sad about it because that joy of going to Wembley, uh, for clubs like us, I don't think you can take it away. No. I suppose the trick is that you've got to really be in a position where you feel you can be comfortable in the league, that you can really focus all your attention on having a cup run. Uh, and that is the and the problem is that going back to the money thing. That's the, right. The, the money the money pays. It, it, yes. It's better to be in the Premier League than to be in an FA Cup final or a League Cup final. But if you ask Aston Villa fans who went to the Cup final under Dean Smith, I'm sure they had um, a really good time. Yes. And yes. And, and they will look back yes. on that because you, can, you can't take it away. And it's not only the final, is it, John? It's all those games leading up to it. Yeah. And, and, and the run and, yes. and, and, and the quarterfinals. And, and step by step. That's right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Well, after that promotion, back to the top flight, um, plenty of pundits predicted a swift return to the second tier from the top division for us. But City under Bond confounded them all by finishing 10th in the top division in 1975-76. 12 points above the relegation places and including a 3-1 win at Anfield. Bond established City in the top flight where they would stay for six seasons. There were times of struggle, of injuries, but other times when they threatened European places. In 1979-80, they topped the top flight for the first ever time, but faded to, fur to finish mid-table. Keeping a club the size of Norwich in the top division for this long was a great achievement by Bond, producing entertaining, attacking football. It was during this time I acquired my first season ticket. The only weakness that is that we would win games out of nowhere, like at Anfield in 1975, but then lose games we expected to win. It was frustrating, and crowds started to fall below the 20,000 mark. As time went on, City struggled to meet the professional ambitions of players, and they would move on. Bond also had amb ambitions to manage on a bigger stage, and his enthusiasm waned. When Manchester City came calling in October 1980, he too resigned. So that completes our look at the stories and achievements of three Norwich managers. As you say, John Archie McCauley, Ron Saunders and now John Bond. In the next episode, we move into the 1980s, starting with the career of Ken Brown. Can't wait. I can't wait for that. Now, Dad, Darren Huckabee joined Norwich in December 2003 and changed the fortunes for a manager that we may well talk about in, in the weeks to come in Norwich's greatest ever managers. Martin Peters or Darren Huckabee, greatest signings? It's different times and it's always difficult. The only thing I would say, and perhaps I'm a bit biased, Peters joined us when we were in the second division. He, he played a major part in getting us promoted and he kept with us then in the top flight for six seasons. Now, it wasn't only down to him, it was obviously down to managers and other players. Huckabee, yeah, a major part um, in that promotion season um, and was a mainstay in the, to be fair, in the Premier League, but he couldn't keep us up. And of course, the, um, 
they got relegated. So it's difficult. He certainly didn't didn't have that long period that Peters had. And as I said, he was he was instrumental in that. After he left, of course, I know Bond left as well, but we got relegated. Yeah. And I think So I would I would say it's very close and they were both instrumental, it's always difficult, but it's difficult to top that signing of Martin Peters. Cost us forty thousand, I think. I mean he repaid that with that um you know the, the the final two goals that he scored, or the first two goals that he scored in that season when we got promotion. Mm. Yeah, and to be fair, a World Cup winner, and there aren't there aren't many in England, um, is always going to probably usurp. And the fact he played for us is is is, is yeah. a joy. But I think Huckabee did he, he changed with that crouch that that double signing in December two thousand and three. It it did change the way that the club was going at that moment it did yeah yeah don't don't um, you know i wouldn't underplay that at all john just the final point about martin peters was that when he finished playing for norwich i think he did go um to another club and management might have been sheffield united if i remember correctly but then he still lived in norwich and he came back and he played local football non-league football he even played thursday afternoon football because he just loved the game so much yeah and this was a world cup winner and that is why we talk about Norwich on a weekly basis because we love it uh, so much as well. Um, I'm, I'm linking ourselves with Martin Peters there, but uh, <laughs> I literally could not lace his boots <laughs> any way, shape, or form. As Dad said, episode five will get into the 80s period. And I think it will be Brown and Stringer, just to give you a bit of a clue as who they might be. This is the podcast that's more steady on than Splendid Rush, the new old Norwich. Sports Social Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.